right, so uh, welcome to the Scaling Therapy Practice. This is James Marland, your host. Uh, this is the show where we encourage you to take intentional steps towards sustainable growth. Today, I am joined with uh, my co-host, Steve Biso. Uh, but uh, I'm a licensed mental health counselor. Happy to be here. Uh, we have our special guest, Laura Long. What's that? And Laura uh, is your badass therapy practice and uh, some other things. Why don't you give us a little introduction to yourself? Man, that's why I wrote it out for you. Oh, for I don't know where I don't, I don't, I like... don't know where it went. <laughs> I, I so this is a thing. I don't like reading it. Like, I don't like when I hear people read it. I'm like, oh, I know they're reading it. So, yeah. That's why I like well, and people. when I wrote it, I was like, oh, this sounds so pretentious. Back to Steve. <laughs> well, this is my <laughs> introduction to you. I've watched you. This is my introduction. I've watched you from afar. I've admired your your attitude and like your ability to market. And then we met at a conference just recently and we had a conversation I forget what it was, but it was really good. Like, hmm. It, it was a meaningful conversation to me in the hall about something, marketing or something that was going on at the conference. And I asked you to be on the show and you graciously agreed. And I'm like, awesome. Uh, I get to talk to somebody that I've been admiring for a while. So that's my introduction. Do you got anything to add? That's splendid. That? <laughs> no, I think it it adds to the fact that 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 quote of people don't really remember what you say, mm -hmm. but they definitely remember how you made them feel. So I too don't remember the content of our conversation, but I remember leaving that being like, I want to get to know this James kid a little bit more. Cool. Kid, even though you're like double my height. <laughs> I, I am I'm about six two. So uh I just remember feeling like I was talking upward a lot. It was just a brief meeting, but it made it it left an impression. So all right, so we're going to talk. James. Oh, well, thank you. Oh, you're just like my my cold, icy heart, you know, warming <laughs> it up today. Thank you. So this, this uh, the topic of today's show is going to be marketing your services or your products and services, like not your necessarily your therapy services, but services like business to business type services. So Laura has some of those and she's going to talk to us about it. But the, our first segment is going to be on a tool, tip or tech of the week. And Laura uh, has that. Uh, Laura has that for us today. So, what do you got? So, I have a YouTube video interview between one of my favorite humans, Seth Godin, and Marie Forleo on her show. And it's about a thirty-minute interview, but it has really transformed the way that I think about many things related to my business, not just marketing. But I wanted to share that with your audience. Uh, he also has an amazing quote that he says at the end that I think we'll get to at some point soon. But that's my sort of my tool is a video. All right. And what, what, if you could sum it up, what was important about that video to you? Oh, so much. Um, I would say the way that he really encourages people to show up and to do it messy and to not care so much about doing it the perfect way or the right way. And that we have a duty to show up and to be seen and to serve. Just the way that he does it is so encouraging. Whereas my New Yorker might come out and be a bit more pushy. <laughs> but, awesome. Um, but yeah, just to go like, like forget the fear that you have about it. Sure, it might not work out and it might sail miserably and you still need to get back up and keep trying and mm. to do it a different way and stop letting fear get in the way. Great. Uh, yeah, I started watching it before the episode, uh, before we're talking. I'm definitely going to finish watching it because Seth is so 
wise and like just so there's just so much so much there just in 30 yeah. minutes so thank you for sharing that with us yeah no problem so we're going to get into our main topic which is you know marketing your services and your products uh and uh i wanted to ask the panel here you you already had a business right <laughs> you already had one business where you're you're you you went to school for it <laughs> you, you you spent eight ten i don't know how many years more than four years going to school and then doing your internship like it's a long long process one of the reasons why I didn't want to be a therapist is because I worked in a place where there were all these interns coming through and I'm like how do you live you know how yeah, how are you living without getting paid for this you know you're given I, I don't know it was just a lot of work um and so you know I that's why when I got my business degree less internship there but uh, so you already, you're already running a business. You already have eight years or more of schooling, and then you decide to branch out and offer some sort of course or a, a service, uh, physical content, like what goes through your mind? Why did you start offering another service besides therapy services? Well, I do feel like I, I collect businesses the way that some people might collect business cards. So at this point, it's just how many more can I keep adding? Um, but I guess the more serious answer to your question is if I could give you the most socially desirable answer right now, I would talk about the importance of impact and wanting to really expand my reach. And ultimately, that is partly true. And now that I've been in this business long enough, I see that as my my primary purpose for continuing on. But what I will say is that my initial uh, motivating factor was that I had a shit ton of student loan debt and I needed mm. to pay it off. And I couldn't pay it off by seeing more clients because I was already seeing as many clients as I could see. So I want to be real and honest about my initial intentions for creating courses. It, it was less to do with like, what is this? amazing community that I could build. I just didn't even know what was out there. My goal was how can I somehow put together something that's going to be valuable enough to where I can ease my family's financial burden. Um, so that that was the initial driving force behind your badass hmm. therapy practice. What about you, Steve? Why did you get started in offering? I know you said you had a course. What, what, uh, what get you started? I mean, you know, I wanted to be a therapist since age 16 and, um, you know, luckily it's cheaper to go to school in Canada than it is in the United States. So I didn't have the debt, but one of the, the bad things about my attention span is that I worked for an agency for 15 years and I think I had 16 titles during that time. And that's no word of exaggeration. Mm -hmm. Literally, I counted them one day. I get bored easily doing the same thing over and over again. So, you know, when I did doing therapy, you know, mastering my private practice was one thing, but I, then I was like, okay, then what? I mean, I, I joke around with some people that the worst day of my life was when I got full of my private practice because that was the goal. I got there and then I'm like, ah, oh, crap, what, now what? So for me, it became the now what question that I had to answer constantly. And that led to a book and that led to a course and that led to the podcast and leading to a group practice right now and leading to being on another podcast with a guy called James. I don't know if you know him. Um, <laughs> you couldn't say no. You're like, I got to keep going. But I, I think it's because it's, it, call it, you know, I know that this uh, 
attention deficit for adults is big right now. I think it's attention deficit. For me, it's just like I like to be out there and try dif- different things. There's other stuff that I've tried that did not work out at all. That doesn't mean they're bad. It just didn't work out for me. But I ultimately need that stimulation just so that I can see what I'm good at and also be able to offer the most that I can of myself. Mm. Um, I, I, I just don't think that uh, being, you know, being a therapist is important for me. It's not the end all, the be all. Doing a podcast is important, but it's not an end all, the be all. Right now, I'm leading to another project where I'm working with uh, a couple of people to co-author a book with them because they have trouble doing a book. So I'm like, oh, you know how to do it, Steve, and I'm helping it. It's on subjects that I enjoy. I'll keep that to myself for now. But ultimately, it's out of boredom for me and keeping myself going. So, and, and I just like, I'm not a therapist, but I offer courses. And one of the reasons I was offering courses is because I see a lot of therapists who have great ideas, but they struggle with the technical side. So I've grown up doing the technical side. I love audio, visual, PowerPoint, Kajabi, you know, learning management tools. And so I thought that was something that I could do to help the world, but also help, you know, earn going back, earn the living and also get some good information out there. So um, there's a lot of reasons why people would do it. I think expanding the impact and reach was uh, was one of the things that um, once once you're once you have a full schedule, what do you do? You know, what do you just stay there or do you keep going? What um, if if somebody was listening to the show and they're thinking, all right, I I'm I'm thinking about offering a service, but I'm not sure where to start or what to do. Do do either of you have advice on like how to get started offering something besides therapy services? Like, how did you? What was the first thing you offered? Yeah, so I'll go. Um, I would say to this person to maybe come up with a more robust or comprehensive list of any skills that they have, any challenge that they've overcome in their life, um, and and try not to box themselves in necessarily. Like, let's say they're a therapist and they work with anxiety, and now they're thinking, well, maybe I want to create a course on anxiety because that's what I do day in and day out in my therapy practice. Well, that very well could, you know, when they go down the rabbit hole of, of market research, they might realize that, oh, yeah, there's definitely a need for a course on anxiety for a particular type of person. So I'm not saying that they shouldn't do that, but also maybe look at some other skill sets that this person might have that they could potentially package as an informational product. Because I'm not a huge fan of these like fly-by-night operations where they're just like going to dump a bunch of strategy and say, hey, like this is what you need to do to create a course. And this is going to be like your six-figure side hustle or something like that. I find that more often than not, it doesn't really work in the long run. You really need to build something that's going to be sustainable for you and also sustainable for the community that you're trying to serve in a meaningful way. So I would say first step, make this robust list of anything that you're good at, anything you've overcome, a challenge that you've had, uh, a personal experience that really changed you in some way that you could then bring to somebody else to help change their life in some way, whether it's mental health related or not. Um, From there, probably picking one or two of those topics and doing a little bit of, I call it rabbit hole research, where you're literally looking through where do these communities of people hang out? So whether you're wanting to work with other therapists, which is what I've done, there are there are communities online where these people are hanging out, where they're congregating and sharing some of the challenges that they're having. 
So in my business school, we called uh, what people would create a product and then walk around trying to sell it to people. We call that a CISP, which is short for solution in search of a problem. Yeah. And um, and I think that that is something that people can sometimes get caught up in because they think, oh, well, I talk about this topic day in and day out in the therapy room. So now I want to package it into a course. So then they jump ahead and they create what they think is going to be this amazing course for people on this topic. Then they end up going out into these communities online trying to sell it. And that ultimately becomes a cis because what they didn't do is go to the people first. Go to the people whose lives they want to change and say, what are the, the challenges that you're having a, w- around this topic? And really learning, diving deep, going down the rabbit hole of what it is this community is really looking for. And then, only then, do you begin to build out a solution for them based on the challenges they're actually having, not the ones you think they're having. So those would be some of the tools that I would say just to start off if you're wanting to build a course. Beef, do you got anything to add to that? I mean, she, that was a really complete response. But uh, one thing that you mentioned is about meaning, meaningful. And I think that that's the very big key for anyone who's going to create a course or go on a podcast or what have you. You have it to be meaningful to yourself because you want to pursue it constantly. You know, I, I don't mind talking about anxiety as a therapist. If you told me there's a need for anxiety, anxiety treatment or group or whatever, I'd be like, that's freaking great. I have no passion whatsoever for that stuff. Um, so for me, it wouldn't be something that I would do. But uh, people who have heard me here or heard me on my own podcast and they know I do a lot of work with first responders. And that is an absolute passion of mine that would, has not waned in 10 to 15 years, if not more. And that will continue the part of the projects. So I'm going to break a little wall here and say that part of the project is something about first responders, but I'm doing something like you said, that is very important. Oh, they have a need. Let me write a 250 page book. No, 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 no. I actually have a survey going out to a lot of first responders and saying, here, here's some ideas of what we think is needed because I know they don't want to just talk about trauma. I know that from my experience. But what else do they talk about? I think I know what they want, but until they tell me what they want, I'm not going to assume the answer. And I think that part of it that I want to add is if you create an idea, surveys are the best tool that we have in order to see what people need. If I say to Laura, Laura, I think you need a hat. Laura's going to be like, where did that come from? Well, yeah, no, it's just because I'm trying to sell a hat. If, Mm. If Laura says, you know what? I could really use a hat. Guess what? I have a business selling hats. Uh, it says Long Island on it. Uh, but at the end of the day, all joking aside, is it, it's really about surveying the people in order to get what they want and get a feel. That's how I did my book. Um, I got a lot of ideas from what clients felt was helpful in my treatment. Not, I didn't tell them this is helpful for your treatment. And there's a difference between dictating versus receiving the info and working off of that. One of my coaches said it this way. It's like, um, who before how, you know, who, who are the people that you can help the most to help the quickest, help the best, who, who, who do you want to work with? You know, who are you passionate about? You know, Steve, I bet you would write that you would, you would continue to work on first responder stuff, whether you got paid or not, because that's just, that's just you. It fires you up. It gets you excited. It gets you, it keeps you motivated. You feel your most success there. So part of your answer is who who do I work with first responders and and people like that. It's not necessarily 
you know, trauma or anxiety. It's like the who of the people. And because um, I loved how Laura was like a solution in search of a problem. That's the how. Like if you start with the how first, like how am I going to sell this? How am I going to reach these people? You're you've started one one or two or three steps too far. You you're you're just too far into it. So find those things that energize you. Uh, both of you just did a really good job of explaining that for the person who is thinking, you know, I I, I have an itch to expand my my influence. I have an itch to do more. Uh, maybe it's uh, I don't want to sit behind the desk for uh, you know thirty hours a week or whatever that you're doing. So um, that's a great place to start. So that kind of leads us into this quote you sent me, Laura. Um, let me pull it up here. Uh, let's talk about this quote for a second. It's from the video you sent and it's from Seth. Seth says, our goal isn't to touch everyone. Our goal is to touch someone, to change someone, just one person. If you get good at that, do five then do a hundred, but stop worrying about everyone. Everyone doesn't matter. Uh, can you unpack that? What you sent it to us as, uh, can you unpack that quote? Like, what does that mean to yeah. you? Uh, it means so much. I would say that when I'm working with a therapist who is wanting to expand their therapy practice and do something different, whether it's courses or they want to provide some coaching or consultation, something that we have to wrap our brains around is the fact that we can't be everything to everyone and we can't we can't really provide a message that's going to be helpful and meaningful if we're going to water it down to apply to everyone. And so I could get really caught up in trying to create something that's going to serve every single therapist in private practice. And still, I would have to water down my message in order to show up authentically and to really say something that matters. So what I think this quote is saying is that everyone doesn't matter. Not only the seven plus billion people on the planet don't matter, but even within your target demographic, not everyone matters. Instead, focus on the one person whose life you wanna change. So in Steve's case with first responders, Steve doesn't apply to all first responders. He, he applies to a very specific segment of first responders who gravitate towards his message and what he has to say. So it's in their best interest as well as his that he's serving the right first responders mm -hmm. so that he can build a community around those people and what it is that they want to feel connected to one another. So I guess if I were to unpack that quote, it's really like taking the onion layers down to the real core of whose life do you want to change? And if you could really distill it down to just one to five people, what is it about them that you feel so connected with? And how can you create services and products to solve a very real problem just for those people and not worry so much about everyone else in that that industry or in that corner of the proverbial sandbox? Great. I'm writing it down. <laughs> like, so, so serve one real problem or solve one real problem. And I... I uh, I identify these people as dream clients. Like who's your, who's the one that you, you, you dream about serving and they dream about you. Like what is the one problem or what, what are they looking for? What's that one problem um, that you can serve? Um, and it's, it's almost like a journey. 
uh, I've I've talked about this before, but if you're if you're a bus company and you're you start in Massachusetts and you're taking people to Florida, you know all all everybody who's going to Florida could get on your bus. But what you really want to do is take people. If you want to go to Disneyland or Disney World, you just want to take the people who want to go straight to Disney World or they want to take that trip to Disney World. They don't want to go to what else is out there, Universal or SeaWorld or something. The people you can help the best and the quickest are the people who not only want to get on that bus with you and go to Florida, but they want to go directly to where you can take them. And that's what your product does. Like it's taking them, it's solving their problem. You're solving the Disneyland problem for some people. So what is your, you know, what's your Disneyland problem? Like, right. Yeah. Well, and if I could just for a second continue with you on that analogy, what I love so much about it is that it's not just about you and the people, because by you putting this busload of people together who all want to go to the very same destination, you've now created this community, essentially, Mm -hmm. on this proverbial bus where they now get to communicate and share with each other. So you've like set the stage, you've created the platform. Hey, I only want people on this bus who want to go to this very specific location and they're all on there and now they get to connect with one another. And I think that's the beauty of building something online that I didn't realize in the very beginning when I cared so much about paying off these student loans. Like only now I'm looking into this going, wow, how amazing is it that that technology allows us to build a platform put a bunch of people in that platform who share one very specific but common challenge and then create a culture around that where people can support one another. And it's not necessarily about you being, okay, I have all the answers to solve this problem for you, Mm. but saying, hey, I I can serve as a guide and a support. And also here are 3,000 of your closest friends who can help you too. And it's more fun to do it together. There's like less, if you're all heading in the same direction, it's more fun. There's more engagement and it's less um, like the the person who wanted to go to, uh, uh, I don't know, what's in Ohio that has a, uh, if they had to a theme park in Ohio, Cedar Rapids or something, those people who want to go there are not happy. Sure, they're going to an amusement park or they're going down, but they're not happy because they're going in a different direction. They got on the bus, but they're heading in the wrong place. And so that community aspect is really important because if you can harness like, hey, we're all going to Disney World. Oh man, what a what a party that bus would be. Right. Like, going down. Um well, well and what I, do you got? And I the only thing I want to add is that Ohio, by the way, it's the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame you want to go to. Okay. Uh, okay. Let's go there first. Number two it's also realizing what I liked about what you said is it's all, it goes a little bit of a niche type of thing that we talked about before on this show. And what I was going to say is that how about a bus that goes down through Florida from Massachusetts, but it will also stop in South Carolina to go see Lisa and Laura. And again, yep. that might be a smaller bus, but it's still the people we want to serve, so to speak. And I know I'm yeah. making a bigger analogy of what you're saying. Ultimately, it's realizing that niching yourself even to the right population is much more important than saying, I'm appealable to every single human being. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. You're creating a legacy, you know, because what you're building is going to live far beyond you, hopefully, if you do it well and if you care most about the people that you're serving. And also their problems are going to change over time. Uh, You know, Steve was talking earlier about like it gets bored. I think that that resonates with me. I'm sure a lot of entrepreneurial therapists feel that same way. 
we may identify as therapists. We may love continuing to do therapy, but there's also this part of us that wants to explore other interests and other things that that extend beyond our role mm-hmm. as therapists. And so if we can build a community, and a lot of these communities are going to be online, but they certainly don't have to be. But if we can build something online and it's valuable to people and they can't help but talk about it to others, you know, to me, that's community-based marketing. That's been my number one marketing strategy for the better part of eight years is building Mm -hmm. something that's so good that people can't help but share it with others who are also on that bus, making those same stops, going to that same location. So, yeah, I think you're leaving a legacy by doing it that way and focusing on the people more than just the topic. Great. Uh, so let's let's get into a few stories. If we have a little bit of time here to do a couple stories, uh, Laura or Steve, what are some of your successes that you've had with uh, launching new products or doing things, and or you know maybe the more relatable thing, <laughs> what some of the failures or struggles that you've had to overcome? Um, what, who wants to go first? Oh, that to me, you're pointing to James, but I'll go. Um, you know, one of the things that I I kind of want to remind everyone who's going to be entrepreneur entrepreneurial is that you're going to have to fail in order to succeed. Mm. That's going to be the first thing I'm going to say. You know, I, I I'm going to move from our job, but it is relatable to what we do as a work. When I coach my uh, I, I coach my uh, daughter's team. And there's 18 little girls that I, they're 12 and 13 and they get upset after one mistake. And I'm like, look, if I don't make 10 mistakes in a day, I've had a pretty good day. And when I've done my launches, you know, like I've done, um, I've tried to start an emotional management coaching, which was not worked out properly because I didn't identify the right, um, population I wanted to serve. Again, that was way too big. And that's what brought me my failure. And I have, you know, is it something that I'm proud of? In some ways I am because I learned from that failure. And instead of like beating myself up, which I've done plenty of that in my life, so that's good. But I also know that it's learning to what did I do and what can I do to change it? And it doesn't mean that you go after the same product and over and over again, but maybe thinking about it in a different way. That's how I got successful in my how to build a private practice. I'm up to a point where If you want the course, I do it every six months live, but every six months it's recorded. So if someone says, oh, I missed it, um, you know, and I charge the charge an amount extra. And the reason why is that I've niched myself into, oh, and you get a 30 minute conversation with me about whatever you want to have about starting your own private practice. So ultimately it's also looking at what you do well. And then expanding on it if you can. So my success stories come really from experience. Because when I did the first time, I said, oh, yeah, well, I guess we can talk 30 minutes afterwards. Like people bought more of that course just because I offered that extra 30 minutes of personalized setting. So it's learning to know what your audience is going to be too. And knowing from your failures as much as you have from your successes. I would say for me... In preparation of this call, I actually keep data on all of my live launches. So I checked that out. That was fun. But just seeing over the course of six plus years, every single launch, how it performed and kind of thinking along the the lines of what was going on in the background. And I would say my most successful launches 
were during times when I was already very active in building this community and I was showing up consistently. Um, and I was also showing up in a way that I would have hoped someone would show up for me when I needed that same support. So I was just in it. I was I was showing up every single day. I wasn't getting caught up in vanity metrics or allowing fear to drive my decisions. But my failures, and I've definitely had some, my biggest failure of a launch was immediately following my most successful launch. Mm. Is that interesting? How, so I had this amazing work? launch. And then let me see the date of it. Uh, my most successful launch was summer of 2020. And my biggest failure was winter of 2021. So probably six months later. And if I could go back and look at what was going on during that time, I rested on my laurels. I was like, mm -hmm. man, that was a badass launch. And I saw the last few launches had been going in this upward trajectory. So I made this false assumption that the rest of the launches, you know, my next one's obviously going to be better than the last because my launches kept going up and up and my sales were increasing. The number of students who are enrolling was increasing. It was a beautiful thing. Um, but then I started getting caught up in those numbers because once you start tracking numbers, you pay really close attention to numbers, which can be both a blessing and a curse. And for me, I got really caught up in those numbers and focused so much of my attention on making those numbers go in the direction I wanted them to go in that I think over time I started to forget about the importance of why I built this thing in the first place. So I stopped mm. showing up as consistently. Another thing is that, and this doesn't get talked about very much, but when you start experiencing some amount of success, there's a bar. And I don't know if it exists only internally or if there's an external bar, maybe a little bit of both. But as you experience success publicly, the bar begins to raise. And with that bar getting raised, I at least, this is my story, but I started feeling a lot more internal pressure. Everything I put out, whether it's a Facebook post or a blog or an email to my newsletter had to be better than the last one I sent. So yeah, I think I was getting caught up in numbers. I was getting caught up in making sure that everything I was doing was better than the last thing I did. And under that pressure, I stopped showing up as consistently mm. and as authentically. And it showed because that next launch was the worst launch I ever did. I have a question about numbers then. You mentioned vanity metrics a couple of times. What are the numbers that people would get caught up in? And what are the, like, if there's a vanity number, what's the opposite of a vanity number? Like a, a meaningful number? Like I don't a key know. performance indicator, key, maybe? <laughs> That's a business term. Anyway, <laughs> K, K, KPI. But uh, yeah, what's, what's a vanity metric and what's a key number that you would... Okay, so... This might vary by industry, but I'll say for mine. So in the practice building industry, how many people like your posts does not matter. Um, mm. it, it might be helpful for like brand awareness. But if you're talking about a, a launch, the only number that matters is how many people bought it. Yeah, sure. Um, it doesn't matter how many people are on your email list. What matters is mm. how many people are opening up those emails. So, um, you know, people will reach out to me and say, oh, how do I get my email list to a thousand? What I want to know is how what percentage of people that are on your list are actually opening it? Because I can mm. give you some ways to get your email list to a thousand, but you might have a one percent open rate, and that's not really going to do you a whole lot of service when you're trying to launch a product. So open rate matters, but the number of people on your actual email list don't matter. Because um, my email list has grown and has continued to grow, maybe not at a an exponential rate, but it has grown consistently. But my launch numbers don't necessarily reflect that. 
because what matters is people engaging with what you're putting out there. So like likes, follows, um, how many Instagram followers do you have? These to me are all vanity metrics. Podcast downloads. Yeah. You know, it's it It makes me feel good. Right. And I'm not saying that those numbers don't matter whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. But if yeah. you're trying to sell a product, I guess it could be somewhat informative how many people have downloaded and listened to your podcast. But what I want to know is how many people are sending you emails after an email or after a podcast saying, wow, this latest one really touched mm-hmm. me and here's mm-hmm. why. That to me matters a whole lot more than how many people just downloaded it. I'd also, I don't know if you have access to these sorts of, of stats, but how many times did someone maybe share it or forward it? That mm-hmm. would matter to me as well, because it means that something you said in that episode resonated enough to where they felt compelled to sh- share it with someone else. So, yeah. and, I rem- and I remember a quote from The Simpsons, um, statistics, statistics. <laughs> they can make, make, you can make them mean anything. 57% of people know that. Um, and I always like that quote because that's exactly what people sometimes pursue. I can tell you from experience that I get more podcast downloads than likes on my social media for that promotion of that podcast. And I'd like to think that downloading my podcast and actually listening to it is a lot more important than you liking a picture of me talking like on a Instagram post or Facebook post. Um, I think I agree a hundred percent that you got to remember, as you called it, uh, the key metrics. But I also think that meaningful, maybe on the th- maybe more on a touchy feely therapy approach, the meaningful one numbers versus the not so meaningful. Having twelve hundred emails uh, email lists, but only having four percent open it, means nothing if you have four hundred and sixty percent open it. Mm. Yeah, I'd much rather have four hundred people on my email list and have 60% of them actually opening and engaging and responding to those messages because it means that I'd sound the right bus that's going to Mm. the right destination and making the right stops along the way. But if I have 10,000 people on my email list and only 10 of them are opening my emails, then I I don't have enough people to pay gas to get to the destination, you know? Great. Uh, We could probably go on, on that a little bit. But uh, let's let's go to wrapping up. I guess that's that's the end. That's the end. Uh, Steve, do you want to give us uh, one thing you want the audience to remember about the show? Um, I think that one of the things that Laura said: if you are a therapist and you're doing something that we talked about niche, we talked about social media, we talked about email. Remember, this is your legacy, and this is what really meant a lot in what you said, Laura. It really touched me personally, actually, because it is the legacy that you leave behind that's a lot more meaningful than, I had 200,000 downloads on my podcast. That's great. Doesn't mean people listen to it, nor do they remember what the hell you said. Um, So I think that the legacy part is what is the takeaway, the main takeaway for me today. Um. I'll let Laura wrap us up, but my my takeaway is um, I I like the the example of the solution in search of a problem. Like that's the wrong way to to do this. Don't create the solution. Uh, look for the people who you can help the most that that energizes you. That you get um, that you 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 can help the quickest, fastest, best, and serve those people. And that goes to the quote that Laura said, like the one 
you know, help that one person get good at that help. Then you can help five, then you can move on. And, and, uh, that's, that's one of the things I want people to take away. Like where, where, who are the people you want to help? And Laura, what's uh, one thing that you want people to remember from this episode? Yeah, I would say maybe just if I could like combine both of your thoughts into like this beautiful child, I would, (laughs) aside from that, I would say go about doing the hard work to find the exact people whose lives you want to change and then give your knowledge generously and freely because you will never run out of amazing ideas to serve your audience. Hmm. Great. So, Laura, uh, where can people find you on the Internet? <laughs> on the World Wide Web. On the web, yeah. You can find me at yourbadasstherapypractice.com. And then I'm also on Facebook. Super easy to find me. You just go to facebook.com slash yourbadasstherapypractice. I'm right there. Great. And I'll have that in the show notes. So, uh, both of you, thank you so much for being on the show, Steve and Laura. This was really good. I mean... I really, really enjoyed talking about these things with you. I'm so glad you had stuff to share. Uh, Thanks for being on the show. Yeah, thanks for having us. And thanks. It was good to meet you, Steve. Nice to meet you, too. All right. Thanks for listening. This is the show where we ask you to take small steps towards sustainable growth. We'll see you next time. Psych Maven is proud to support the Scaling Therapy Practice Podcast. If you go to stp.psychmaven.com, you can take our free personal inventory and find out what your builder type is as a helping professional. This assessment is quick and fun, and it comes with tons of customized resources with your results, so you can discover the best ways to scale that match your own personality. Find the assessment at stp.psychmaven.com. Hello, everyone. Nothing in this podcast should be regarded as legal therapy or accounting advice. While we do our best to share helpful knowledge and personal experiences, it's essential to consult with a qualified professional when it comes to these matters. We're here to support and inspire. But remember, every situation is unique, so the strategies we discuss might not be right for everyone. Thanks for understanding and enjoy the podcast.